Thanks for listening to the Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series called Kingdom Skills, Getting Good at Knowing God. And in this sermon series, we discuss the skills we need to develop for life in God's kingdom. That's a life that can hear God's voice and do God's will, and it is exactly the kind of life you were made for. Everything worth doing takes practice, and following Jesus is no different. So let's dig in and sharpen our kingdom skills together. Be sure to check us out at tablechurchdsm.org, and please never be afraid to reach out. Thanks, and enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, church. My name's Ivy Sprague. I'm part of the hospitality and prayer teams, and it's my joy to share this morning's scripture with you. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Uh, Our usher's in the back, so if you'd like to just raise a hand, we'll make sure that you get a copy. This morning's scripture comes from Luke chapter 10 verses 25 to 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. You might remember Meals from the Heartland, um, last, uh, we pack meals for them, they send the meals all over the world to help people who are dealing with hunger, and um, we're going to do that again uh, this fall. So October 15th, we're going to be packing meals in West Des Moines at their location. Um, go ahead and s- just write the word meals on your connection card if you want to be a part of that. And it's just a great opportunity to not only serve, but to hang out with your church family and get to know each other. You're, you're kind of hanging out for two hours, packing meals, wearing cool hairnets, they look awesome. You're going to love it, and so I'd highly recommend you coming. Um, and then also, uh, we're going to have a church barbecue here in a few weeks on October 9th. We're going to have some grills and some tables set up after church. Uh, where There's nothing you need to do. You don't need to sign up or anything. You just need to come to church on October 9th, and we're going to have some food for you. All right, so we're looking forward to that. We've never done it before. We're going to give it a shot, but, I mean, what could go wrong, right? Church potlucks, we're like, we invented this. We got, we got this. So I look forward to seeing you there. You know, much of my life's work is based on the notion that the Bible is different than other books. It's different than other books. And see, I believe that the things that are revealed in the scriptures are not just put there by a human hand. And I couldn't explain the mechanics of it to you, but I believe that somehow, some way, God got what he wanted into the Bible. <laughs> that it's there because God wanted it there for a reason. In fact, I, I think that the Bible is nothing short of explosive. It can change the trajectory of our lives. It has changed human history in ways that are too numerable, numerable to count. When I say the Bible is explosive, though, I mean that in, in uh, the good ways and also sometimes in not so good ways. In fact, the Bible has been used to do some pretty awful things. The Bible has been used to justify slavery. Slaveholders would quote Bible verses in order to justify their actions. On the other hand, the Bible has also been used uh, to abolish slavery. The Bible's been used to justify bloody wars. It's also been used to justify acts of unfathomable Self-sacrifice and love. Like I said, this is an explosive book. 
Now, we just read a moment in the Gospel of Luke where a religious expert asks Jesus one of these explosive questions. We're talking about eternal life. Uh, but instead of answering his question, Jesus turns it back on the man, and as he sometimes does, asks him a question instead. Jesus says, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Now, it's important that uh, in the Greek, it actually reads a little different. What Jesus says there, it just says, literally, a literal translation would say, how do you read? You see, removing that two-letter word, it, I think, kind of changes the force of the question a little. It's not so much, okay, how do you read it? It's more, how do you read? In other words, it's not a question of how to parse a verb or diagram a sentence or know the historical background and context. It's not a question about how do you, how do you lay the Bible out on an operating table and perform an experiment on it. It's a question about how do you approach the Holy Scriptures? How do you read? How is your heart when you come to this text? Do you read it well or don't you? We're in a sermon series right now called Kingdom Skills. Kingdom Skills, getting good at knowing God. Because we believe that God's kingdom that we are called to inhabit, it, it operates on a different value system than the world often does. Uh, now, as Christians, we believe that we're called to be a student of Jesus. The, the Bible word for this is disciple. Probably the best English word would be apprentice. An apprentice or a disciple is somebody who orients their entire lives around understanding the way of their master and living it out themselves. And that's, that's what we're called to do as followers of Jesus. But as we all know, that doesn't just happen overnight. None of us can just wake up one day and decide, you know what, today I'm going to I'm going to find it easier to love my enemies than to hate them. Like, I, I just, I'm going to be the kind of person who finds it easier to love people that are mean and rude to me than it is to bless them. You can't, there's no switch that you can flip to do that. That, that goes against everything in us. And yet that is what Jesus taught us and told us to do. So you see, there's no switch that you can, that you can flip. But to, to be that kind of a person, we must become acclimated to the upside-down way of the kingdom of God. And that takes two things. Number one, it takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, it takes God working in our hearts in order for that to happen. But number two, it takes practice. It takes practice. See, by God's grace, we must develop kingdom skills. And so today, we're going to talk about the skill, the practice of reading Scripture. But like I said, I'm not interested in talking about how to parse verbs or diagram sentences. Okay, that's not what I mean when I say how to read. We're not asking how do you read it. I want to ask how do you read. I could spend all day honestly talking about what we call exegesis. That's the fancy pants word for, you know, breaking down sentences, grammar, syntax, language, that kind of thing historical context in order to interpret a text. I literally have a master's degree in biblical interpretation. Like, this is my jam. I love that kind of stuff. I can nerd out all day, but I don't care about any of that today. I don't care about any of that today. Because, look, there are countless scholars alive today who know more about the Bible and their pinky finger than all of us combined. But they don't have kingdom skills. It's just a science experiment for them. 
I don't want us to be that. Look, if we don't first ask the question, how do I read? Then no amount of Bible knowledge can, can make us more skilled at knowing God. We must start with our hearts. And I believe that God has revealed something of himself, something of his heart to us in the Bible. And so when we come to it with hearts that are ready to hear it, it can change our lives. Uh, Eugene Peterson, he camps out on this question for a while. He's got a book called Eat This Book. And he camps out on this question, how do you read? And it seems that there is a way to read scripture that is better than others. In fact, he points out that when the religious leader in our little exchange that Ivy read uh, a minute ago, that when the religious expert answers Jesus' question, this guy actually, he gives the right answer. He nails it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is the exact right answer he could have given to Jesus' or to his own question of how to have eternal life. Uh, in fact, He's, he's like kind of joining together two verses from the Old Testament. And of all the verses in the Old Testament, he's happened to grab the two perfect ones for that answer. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus is asked a similar question, and Jesus gives the exact same answer. Like he nails it. So Peterson says, There was nothing wrong with the scholar's knowledge of Scripture, but there was something terribly wrong with the way he read it, the how of his reading. So this man wins the Bible trivia contest, but he loses the heart exam. In fact, at the beginning of this passage, we learn that the man's question about eternal life, it wasn't an innocent question. The verb, it says, well, it says an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. This guy stands up thinking, I'm going to test Jesus. And that verb for to test uh, in the original language is the same word that is used for what Satan does to Jesus in the desert when Satan tempts Jesus. In the noun form, it's what Jesus teaches us to ask God for when we, when we pray, lead us not into temptation. It has this idea of setting a trap for somebody. This guy's trying to trap Jesus. That sounds bad, right? I mean, that's what Satan does. I just said, that sounds really bad. There's no way we would do that. But you know something, when we come to the Bible and we think, well, I'm going to go find more ammo for my debate. I'm going to go, uh, you know, solidify my understanding of things rather than be challenged or humbled. Like I'm going to go to the text in order to prove why I'm right. That's essentially what we're doing. We're trying to trap God in. We're trying to box him and force him into a mold instead of letting ourselves be put into the mold. We don't handle the Bible. The, ha the Bible should handle us. Look, instead of standing in control over the text, we must learn to stand in submission under it. The Bible is not something to be managed and controlled. That is precisely what it's become, though, I think, for many modern Christians. It's a thing to be torn apart and dissected and studied, which isn't bad, but rarely ever applied. Look, consider the fact that today in the church, we honor and we celebrate people who we we deem to know a lot about the Bible and about theology and about God. We give them platforms and we buy their books and these sorts of things. And look, that's not necessarily bad. There is a biblical mandate, and I want to say this emphatically. Uh, there's a biblical mandate to, to honor teachers of the word. It says so in 1 Timothy 5.17. But it just seems strange to me that many of these teachers of the word are often kind of lousy doers of the word. And Jesus would have never separated the two. 
Like you, you want to find somebody to, to sit under and to learn from? Find somebody who lives out their Christian walk well. That's the kind of person that we want to look for. Jesus would have never separated the two. And so as he's having this exchange with this religious leader, he launches into a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I don't have time to read it all here. You can read it in Luke 10. But look how he wraps up this whole encounter with this expert. He says, now go and do likewise. He doesn't say, go and, you know, reflect on the truths that we have just discussed. He doesn't say, go and meditate on this word. He says, go and do it. Tells him a story. He says, go do that. That's what it all comes down to for Jesus. Look, every meaningful encounter with the Bible will show itself by what we do with it. Someone who is good at knowing God is someone who puts into practice God's words. This is the great chasm in our discipleship today. We are wonderful at teaching the text, but we're not very good at doing it. We need kingdom skills. Listen, our city desperately needs a church that will not simply read the Bible's words, but will actually live them. A few years ago, I came across an article uh, in the, the Gospel Coalition website, and it got my attention. The title got my attention. Here's the title. It's called No Bibles in Iowa, The Curious Case of Cedar Rapids. Okay, I grew up in Cedar Rapids. It's where my family's from. And so I was like, well, what's this about? I wanted to get to the bottom of this. And it's, here's what it says, the opening paragraph. It says, every year, the American Bible Society and Barna Group rank 100 of the nation's most Bible-minded cities. That is, how many people read the Bible at least once a week and who strongly believe the Bible is accurate. And every year, cities from the Bible Belt, Chattanooga or Birmingham or Knoxville, come in first, while cities from the coast, San Francisco or Boston or Albany, come in last. It's all fairly predictable except for one city, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And it goes on to explain that in the four years preceding that article, Cedar Rapids had ranked in the bottom five, uh, which means that people in Cedar Rapids are among the least likely in the country to read the Bible and believe the Bible of anybody else. And when the article was written, which was 2017, uh, the, the writer said the percentage of religious nuns in Lynn County, nuns, that's the term we use for people that have no affiliation with any religion, uh, the, number, the percentage of nuns in Lynn County was comparable to or higher than Manhattan, Los Angeles, or Chicago. Okay, so like I said, I was raised in Cedar Rapids, and I was discipled in Cedar Rapids, and I didn't feel, it didn't feel not very Bible-minded to me at the time, but of course I didn't know anywhere else. And I've lived a few different places now, and I'm, I'm back in Iowa, and I go, okay, well, I can kind of see it now, actually. Um, it, you know, I don't get my hair cut much anymore, but it seems like, it seems like it was easier to strike up a, you know, a God conversation in these other places. I don't know what it is, but... Uh, and I know Cedar Rapids isn't Des Moines, but, you know, we're fairly close geographically, and honestly, Des Moines didn't rank that great either. Cedar Rapids might have been 96th or 97th, Des Moines was like 65th or something. But, you know, most people would expect, like, the least Bible-minded cities not to be in America's heartland, right, which is just shows us some of our assumptions we carry about things. But um, the, the point, the the one thing's for sure, we don't have any shortage of churches in Des Moines, which makes me wonder, like, in our region is the discrepancy not that we need more buildings and budgets and that kind of thing. Maybe we just need to live out the scriptures more. Like, we need to do a better job as Christians 
you know, maybe this is an indictment on us, right? Maybe this is an indictment on me as a religious, as a Christian leader here in Iowa. We need to not just read it. We need to do what it says. Maybe our city and state needs fewer Christians who know all the answers and more Christians willing to be the answer, to, to live out this ridiculous love that God calls us to. You see, we have Christians who can talk all day about grace. I've heard Christians talk about grace in a way that almost makes me scared, you know? Like, whoa, like they get so passionate about it, but they don't show grace. That's why we must ask, how do I read? Am I reading simply to know stuff, to check it off my list, to win a debate? Or am I reading the scriptures so that I might be transformed by the Holy Spirit into a person who, I don't know, prays for the person who cuts me off in traffic instead of gets mad at them? That I might be a parent who, you know, when the tension level's rising in my house, doesn't succumb to it, praise with my kids instead of yelling at them as I often do. And so I might be someone who finds it easier to love people with different political views than it is to be angry at them. That's what it means to be good at knowing God. To be able to do those sorts of things. Not, not just simply to be able to do it, but to do it naturally. Because that's just who you are. So this is why I'm avoiding the temptation today to make this sermon about trying to accumulate biblical information. Like, I've talked about that. We've taught classes on how to study your Bible. Like, we have that kind of stuff. But look, that won't make any difference if we don't come to the Bible hungry. It's like, God, what word do you have for me today? Eugene Peterson makes this brilliant observation uh, that the word that the psalmist uses when he says that he meditates on God's word, it's the same Hebrew word that Isaiah uses when he talks about the noise a lion makes as it eats its prey. Isaiah 31.4, as a lion growls a great lion over its prey. It's the Hebrew word hagah, and it is the same word used to translate meditate often. And so, look, when the psalmist meditates over God's word, it is Hagah. The noise a lion makes as it hungrily devours its prey is Hagah. Now, I don't have a lion with which to illustrate this for you, but I do have a golden doodle. It's the next best thing. And so, I got Theo a new bone. Let's see if he can demonstrate a little bit of Hagah for us. Take a look at this. You kind of got to wait for it, just so you know. Theo, Theo, can I have some? Okay. Can I have some? <laughs> there we go. Um, okay, so that is what the biblical imagery suggests it should be like for us when we read the Bible. That's our soul's posture to God's word as we read it, what you just saw Theo doing to that bone. Like, do you chew on the scriptures in your soul? A few weeks ago, I was feeling kind of low. You know, I think the enemy was like playing off of some fears in my mind and 
sometimes my mind gets on a feedback loop, starts to snowball a little bit. I'm not sure if that happens to you. It happens to me sometimes. Look, my oldest daughter is about to go to middle school. And on one hand, I'm like, oh, wonderful. Like, okay, I'm embarrassing her. It's great. I'm like, wonderful. A, a rite of passage. My, my daughter is going to mature and flourish. And then I'm like, what am I thinking? What kind of father would send their daughter into this nihilistic, secular, desolate wasteland of debauchery? Like, what am I thinking? That's a pretty good uh, description of middle school, right? And at the same time, like, it's summertime, and look, I'm just going to be vulnerable. And it's, it's, this is my, I need to be sanctified more. Like, this is my, you know, this is a growth edge for me, I think. Uh, summer is just kind of, kind of a bummer in the ministry. Like, everybody's gone, you know, and you just, ah, and so Satan's like, see, nobody cares, and that kind of thing, and, and, and I'm like, okay, God, you gotta, you gotta give me some truth. And I'm reading in, in Acts at the time, and there's this verse that God just like, it just like lightning bolts me off the page, you know, and it's in chapter 18, and it says, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. And it was like God was saying, hey, just take Paul out and put the word fill in today. I'm like, yeah, that's what I needed. Look, I have a God over that passage ever since. I've turned it over, chewed on it, digested it. One of the, it's a blessing and a curse, I suppose, to be a preacher when you read the Bible because you turn everything into a little mini sermon. And look, this, that passage I just read, there's, uh, you know, three commands from God and three corresponding promises. So it says, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent. But then he says, for I am with you, no one will harm you. And basically, you have lots of friends. He said, God says, I have a lot of people in this city. But then the final command that he gives Paul is to stay in that city, continue the work that God has called him to. And Paul does it. He obeys. Paul always takes God's word and does it. And as I chewed on this passage, I could feel the, kind of the courage flooding in my heart. And look, when you come to the Bible with both hunger and humility, God will change your life. When you come to it saying, I think that the, the, these are the words of God. Like this is different than any other book. And there's something for me in here. I'm not saying every time I read the Bible is a lightning bolt, but it happens a lot. Like, I, I can't even count the number of times that I've just needed a word and it's come to me through the scriptures. So how do you read? You know, maybe we should start with the question, like, do you even read, bro? <laughs> do you read the Bible at all? Like, if you don't, you should. And then ask yourself, how do you read? Do you take up the scriptures, which are the words of life? I mean, think about it. If the Bible is what we say it is, you know, if it is somehow God's word, message, heart to us, or at least communicates it, if it's a window, I think about it this, this way a lot. Like, um, the spiritual world is like an ocean. The Bible is like a submarine window. <laughs> like, it doesn't show us the whole thing. We're talking about a, a vast reality far beyond anything we can imagine. God is infinite, right? But it's the only window we got. We'd be foolish not to look through it. And so God has given us this ability to see into his heart through scriptures. How do you come to it? 
Look, if, I were, if you were honest with me, I bet you would admit that your soul is hungry. That your soul is hungry. Look, there is a feast prepared for you. Come and eat. There's an ancient practice of spiritual reading. It's called Lectio Divina. It means divine reading. And Lectio Divina is it's reading to be transformed, not simply to gain information, as we often kind of do. And I'm not, like, I just want to be clear. I'm not saying you shouldn't study the Bible, try to learn more about it. Um, I'm just saying, let's get first things first here. Let's get first things first. Let's come to the Bible expecting God to move in our hearts through it. So it's, it's reading the Bible like a dog chews a bone. That's what Lectio Divina is. And there are four steps. Read, meditate, pray, contemplate. And the thing I love about these four steps is there's no way you can do them fast. Like if you only spend a couple seconds meditating, you, you haven't meditated, you know. And we, uh, we have a resource we'd like to give you, and the ushers are going to hand it out. But we just have these little bookmarks. I'd encourage you to put it in your Bible. But it takes you through the steps, um, and it gives you a few passages that you might start with as well. Just find the time to chew on God's word this week. Use this resource often. This is a kingdom skill that we're called to master, I think. This is how you get good at knowing God. So come humble, come hungry. Let's pray. God, I pray that today um, that you're, uh, I don't know, that we would have a hunger. I think we have the hunger, we're just not always aware of it. Sometimes we ignore it. Like my mentor used to tell me, our soul doesn't have a central nervous system, so if we're hungry, we may not be able to feel it all the time. Um, but Lord, I think we need it. Lord, let us be people who come to the Bible not as a way of getting more ammo or to win an argument. Lord, the way, that way is the way of the religious expert who just wanted to test you. I don't want to test you. I want you to test me. <laughs> I've seen too often how I can just be completely wrong for me to think that I've got it all together. And so, Lord, let that be our heart as a church as we come before your word. I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to communicate as a preacher because preachers have said so many times, read your Bible. And so, Lord, awaken us in, a, in us a hunger. Do, do something with the words that I've said that I can't. Awaken us a hunger, Lord. Recognizing what is available to us through it. And understanding that the authority lies not in this book, but in the one who breathes life into the book. Jesus, you are the word. You are the one through which... All life and breath has come. You are the authority. You are the one that we follow and worship, not a book. But we believe that you invested something into that book that shows us your heart. So God, may we devour it. We pray in your name. Amen.